Would you open God's precious holy word to 2 Samuel 12, which is just the continuing story and completion of the story here of David and Bathsheba. The confession. For about six months or so, David has gone unabashed as though nothing has happened. Let's see. He has coveted, he has borne false witness, he has committed adultery, and he has committed murder. And that hasn't apparently bothered him at all. So we come then to chapter 12 here in 2 Samuel, his confession. We begin with the trial. Yahweh sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich, one poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds. Now, when he begins to talk about shepherd's work, this would gain David's attention. But the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and reared, and it grew up together with him and his sons. Of his bread it would eat, and from his cup it would drink, and in his bosom it would lie. And it was to him like a daughter. There came a wayfarer to the rich man and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to prepare for the guest that had come to him. So he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man that had come to him. David became very angry at the man. And he said to Nathan, and he's about to pass judgment upon himself as we know. As Yahweh lives, the man who has done this is liable to death. The ewe lamb he shall repay fourfold because he did this thing because he had no pity. So what David is saying is he's worthy of death. Now, there's no death penalty in the law of Moses for taking someone's lamb and and killing it. There is a penalty. But uh, David is so angry, he says, you know, this this is worthy of death. Now, the law does say that in such a case, the man shall be repaid fourfold because he did this thing. But the worst part of it is he had no pity on this poor man, no pity. So, you know the story. Nathan has confronted David with a story that has grabbed David's attention using a scenario that David would be familiar with. And that David's heart would be close to a scenario that involves flocks and and involves a, a poor shepherd that didn't have much. So now he has he has placed him under arrest, I guess you might say, and brought in the trial. Now, here's the verdict. Nathan said to David, you are the man. So says Yahweh, the God of Israel, I anointed you as king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you the house of your master and of your master's wives in your midst. I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if there were too little, then I would add unto you like them and like them. And of course he did because David just went undefeated through these other nations. And he added their territory and took took the spoil of their land. Why have you despised the word of Yahweh? Now, this is what it comes down to. 
total negligence, hard-heartedness, no feeling at all for all of the commandments that he has broken. You have despised the word of Yahweh. Why? To do what is evil in his eyes. David had set himself apart from that. He had set himself apart from the eyes of Yahweh, from the word of Yahweh, uh, and had elevated himself to a place, of course, that Yahweh had never given to him, and no man ever has that place, to be beyond the word of God. You have smitten Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and you have taken his wife for yourself as a wife, and you have slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. It's bad enough that he was killed, that David arranged for his murder. But to put him in a place of war and to arrange the situation such that he would be killed by the sword of the Ammonites. This is, this is in the eyes of Yahweh this this is this this adds grief to grief because he allowed him to be slain not really in a battle but in a prearranged situation and to be slain by the enemy of God so here comes the sentence the sword shall never depart from your household forever. It's a very emphatic statement here. Never ever will the sword depart from your household because you have despised me and you have taken the wife of your eye of the Hittite to be your wife. Yahweh through the prophet is very specific. This is what you've done. And now you're going to suffer in the same way. And of course, we know what's coming with regard to rebellion against him from his own household and, and, and the grief that he will suffer because of what if one of his sons does to one of his daughter and, and all. So says Yahweh, behold, I will raise up against you evil out of your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and I will give them to your friend and he will lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you have acted in secrecy, but I will do this thing before all of Israel and before the sun. It'll be in daylight. Everybody will be exposed, fully exposed. You'll be humiliated and you'll have nothing but trouble in your family life and in your household from now on. Notice what he says. I will raise up against you evil out of your own house. Of course, his own son takes his, his concubines uh, for his own. Now, God is gracious. When we, I got to think about this. I think this is the last evening in December that I'll preach. I think I'm right. We have a musical and then no Sunday or Wednesday night from then on. I'm thinking ahead here. So this just works out just right. We've finished Leviticus and we will replace Leviticus 
with the last part of book two in Psalms, which begins with the 51st Psalm. So we'll close out tonight in our Old Testament study, which I usually reserve for evening worship services. And we'll pick up with the very Psalm that is David's repentance, David's prayer, his confession and so forth. And here's the background of how David writes this psalm. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against Yahweh. Nathan said to David, Yahweh has removed your sin. You shall not die. Yet still, because you've greatly blasphemed the enemies of Yahweh, by this thing, the child also that is born to you shall surely die. It's a pretty harsh sentence, innocent child, baby. There's some kind of justice here that Yahweh uses that was applicable to, to David and the situation and through that situation into David's heart and into ours as we study it, we realize how heinous the crimes that David had committed, the sins, so much so that his sin even reached out into the life of the baby that was conceived in what he had done to Bathsheba. There are all kinds of people that have written. I've read so many things this past week on, or last couple of weeks on this about liberal scholars, of course, accuse God of, they call themselves scholars, of being unjust and all this. Still, this whole thing will work out for the purpose and to the glory of God. That's what we're taught in the Bible. Yet here we can't help but be saddened to know that there's already judgment upon the child before he's even born. So here's the chastening. Nathan departed to his house. Yahweh struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David. It became mortally ill. David besought Elohim. On behalf of the child, David fasted a fast and he came in and he slept lying on the ground. The elders of his house stood over him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not. Neither did he eat bread with them. The judgment from God was so heavy on him. There was, he didn't want to bathe. He didn't want to eat. He couldn't sleep. He just couldn't do anything, obviously, but fall on the ground in repentance before God. No doubt praying to the Lord regarding this situation. And it came to pass on the seventh day that the child died. The servants of David feared to tell him that the child was dead. 
For they said, Behold, while the child was yet alive, we spoke to him, and he didn't hearken to our voices. How then shall we tell him that the child is dead so that he'll do himself harm? They thought he was suicidal. He was so out of character in how what he had done had affected him and what was going to happen to this baby, how, how terrible it had affected him. David saw that his servants were whispering and he understood that the child was dead. David said to his servants, is the child dead? And they said, he is dead. David got up from the ground and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. He came to the house of Yahweh and kneeled. He came to his house and he asked that they set bread before him and he ate. And his servants said to him, what is this thing that you've done for the live child? You fasted and wept for the living child, but when the child died, now you, you get up and eat bread. And he said, while the child was yet alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows, perhaps Yahweh will be gracious to me. The child will live. But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him. But he will not return to me. Many believers through the ages have taken great comfort in this one verse, in verse 23, which seems to indicate that David believed completely that he would die and in his death he would go and be in the presence of this child and that someday he would go to the child, but as it was, the child could not return to him. If you'll think back about three or four weeks, we started this thing. This whole story is part of a, this story is part of a greater story so that we would remind ourselves the son of the king of Ammon was to be comforted. David tried to befriend him because that king had helped David. And he sent servants and they shamed his servants, which was the same as a declaration of war. They allied themselves with the Arameans and they said, he, we've heard that he's mad at us and he's coming. We need help. We're not ready to go to war. So they hired these allies and the war ensued. The Arameans were quickly defeated by Joab. And for quite some time, the armies of Israel had surrounded Rabbah, the city to which the Ammonites had retreated. And Israel had, was besieging the city. Remember all that. And it was while they laid siege to the city, Uriah being one of the soldiers in the army that was with the army laying siege that the tryst of David and Bathsheba occurred and one thing led to another as you know and when she told David that she had become pregnant then 
he conspired to try to get his, her husband in so that it would look like his child. Husband wouldn't do it, being the soldier he was. He said, I, I, you've brought me off the battlefield, but I can't rest and I can't do anything. My brothers in arms are, are in harm's way. David makes arrangements with Joab, put him out on the hottest part of the battle, and then tell the men to withdraw from him and let the Ammonites kill him. And that's what happened. So that's how this whole thing started. With Uriah being away from his wife because he was serving the king in his army. And David did this to him. So now it's gone full circle. The judgment of God has been proclaimed against David and his household. But his men are laying siege to the city. So then we move into the next part. We pick up where we left off back in the war, the battles that were going on. So King David now goes and joins in the war, the battle against Rabbah. David comforted Bathsheba, his wife. He came to her, lay with her. She bore a son. She called his name Solomon and Yahweh loved him. And he sent by the hand of Nathan, the prophet, and he called his name Yedidah, for Yahweh's sake. Now moving on, David moves from there right back into the battle. And Joab fought against Rabbah of the children of Ammon and captured the royal city. Joab sent messengers to David and said, I have fought against Rabbah. I have also captured the city of waters. Now that means that uh, the place where, there, where the water was uh, diverted into the city he had taken over the water supply. So now, having moved into that section and conquered that particular section, the people will have no water. And now gather the rest of the people and encamp against the city and capture it, lest I capture the city and my name be called upon it. Joab says, they're ready to fall, but I don't need to be the one to be the conquering hero. That needs to be you. He's speaking, of course, to David. David gathered all the people. He went to Rabbah and fought against it, captured it. He took the crown of Maham off his head and its weight was a talent of gold. And we'll look at First Chronicles in just a second, the three verses, first three verses, chapter what, 20, I think. And it says a talent of silver. Well, it's a measure of weight. The, the point is it was a talent. This, this thing had gold and silver in it and it, this crown of this guy, this guy's crown weighed somewhere between 50 and 75 pounds. So you couldn't, you couldn't walk around or ride around your horse very long with something like that on your head. And then it was a precious stone and it was set on David's head. And the spoil of the city he brought forth in great abundance. So here was, here was Joab's point. Joab probably knew everything that was going on but. He said, here's the deal. You are the king. The men will expect the king to conquer the city. It doesn't need to be my name that is elevated here in this victory. It needs to be your name. And that's when David goes and joins him. Of course, they were hungry. They were starving. They had no water. 
They were weakened and it was a fairly easy thing then to march in, obviously, and uh, capture the city. And so they, they lifted up the crown of Malcham. It's very heavy. Uh, and placed it on David's head. And here's what that means. That means that he absorbed that part of the land into his land, into Israel, which actually it was part of the promised land that God had promised to Abram. Then he took everything in the city that was a spoil and it came forth in great abundance. And so now his kingdom becomes even richer than it had been. Now here's the account in 1 Chronicles 20 of what we just saw in the last part of that part of 2 Samuel 12. And the people that were therein, he brought forth, he put them under saws and under harrows of iron, under axes of iron, and he made them pass through the big brick kiln. So he also did to all the cities of the children of Ammon, and David and all the people returned to Israel. So here's what he did. He took the captured soldiers and he put them to work in construction. They're going to change things around. They're going to, they're going to enlarge. They're going to build more stuff. And he's going to make them do all of the work. And David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. So then now it came to pass at the time of the return of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, that Joab led the power of the army and destroyed the land of the children of Ammon. He came and besieged Rabbah, and David was dwelling in Jerusalem, and Joab smote Rabbah and destroyed it. David took the crown of Malcolm off his head. He found it to weigh a talent of silver. So what we're told in both accounts, this was a, this was a heavy crown made both of gold and silver, and it had in it a precious stone. It was set on David's head, the spoils of the city he took out in large quantity. And the people who were in it he brought forth and sawed with a saw, and uh, with harrows of iron and with chains. So David did to all the seeds of the children of Ammon. Now what that means is he made the people go to work in construction. And David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. So David would have left overseers from his military. And these captured soldiers were probably given some semblance of a normal life, but for the rest of their lives, they would have to work in, in fairly difficult construction work. And they would build and do exactly what David's people had told them to do. And thus, the land of Israel was enlarged. Now, the last part when we get into it of David's life after the first of the year, it will be revealed to us that David, the, the consequences of David's sin, they never leave him. He has difficulty for the rest of his life. And it's as though, although he can still go to war, but his greatness will never be what it once was. And David will suffer greatly along with his along with his household. One thing we get out of this is obviously we see that Solomon is born uh, to Bathsheba and we already know that Solomon uh, takes David's place. Okay, we're going to stop there and we'll have our uh, deacon prayer time.